Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This was the show recorded on Wednesday, April the 29th, 2020, titled... AMC drops the ban hammer on Universal Movies. And listen, guys, even if you're just listening to the podcast, you can also participate in the live questions part of the show by going to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You can see that link in the top of the description of this podcast to go and submit your question and support the channel anytime, 24-7. So now, let's get to the show. And the first thing that we're going to talk about uh, is this. You know, one of those, there's a lot of character actors in Hollywood that we see their faces and we're like, oh, I know this guy. I know this guy. One of those guys in North America was a household name in the Bollywood film industry. Irfan Khan, who was, of course, one of the stars of Slumdog Millionaire, Life of Pi, Jurassic World, The Amazing Spider-Man. He had one of those, that presence, like in Jurassic World, when he comes on screen as like the head of that company, he just carried this incredible presence about him. You instantly knew him. You instantly recognized him, even if you didn't necessarily know his name. Uh, Sad news came out that he has passed away at the age of 54. Uh, And he just lost his, if I read the story right, I think he just lost his mother last week uh, as well. And uh, we lose him at the age of 54. And I'll tell you what, Rob, this guy, I was really saddened to hear this uh, for for a number of reasons, obviously. But this guy, it's it's rare when you get actors who just carry an on-screen presence, like a James Earl Jones uh, carries that kind of a presence. A uh, Jeremy Irons carries that kind of presence. Uh, Irfan Khan, when he would pop up on screen, he carried that kind. He had that intangible quality about him as an actor that made him feel at the same time as the sweet, comforting, you know, uncle or the most terrifying of villains that you could possibly imagine. Yeah. All at the same time. And he passed away uh, uh, at the age of 54. Rob, uh, you heard about his passing. What are your thoughts? Well, he's one of those guys where you just see him. I I liked there are character actors that you just like, whether they're playing villains or whether they're playing heroes or kindly uncles or whatever they're playing. They 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 just have a, a presence where they belong on screen. And I felt he was one of those guys. And I, you know, I didn't know I read a little bit. He had underlying conditions and things. And it's just sad because that guy, he, he had decades more of film work in him. And I'm sorry that he passed away. I'm sorry for his family. And I'm sorry for the audience. And, you know, it's completely understandable. It's completely understandable that that we here in North America think of him as this character actor. But in the Bollywood scene. Yeah. I mean, he was the man uh, in the Bollywood scene and and one of those guys who was able to make that transition and was still in the midst. And like you pointed out, he still had a long career ahead of him uh, to even cement himself even more, making that transition from Bollywood also into Hollywood. Uh, and he did it so well, truly, truly a gifted performer. You know, he would just pop up in North American films and those films would get Oscar nominations. It, and it really is sad to hear. Uh, so again, uh, Irfan Khan passing away at the age of 54 and our thoughts and condolences, of course, to any of the family and friends of Mr. Khan. All right. With that down, let's move on to another off the top. And this one is interesting. Last night, uh, I didn't hear about this, but last night I was uh, doing some live play and chat streaming and me playing some poker. Thank you to all you guys who came out and hung out with me as I did that. But one of our viewers, I love it when I get to find out stuff from our viewers. One of our viewers pointed out that they were starting to read reports that you remember that silver and black 
project that Sony was going to do in the Spider-Verse, and then it got canned and put on hold. Well, apparently it never fully died. Apparently it never fully died. But apparently it's still barely gasping onto life. Apparently it's still barely gasping on life. It's still floating around in development hell. Well, the director, the would-be director of the film, is saying that there's even talk now of maybe a silver and black happening, but instead of being a feature film, going straight to Disney Plus. Wait, now what? let me get. Yeah, I know. Wait, what? What's going on here? Okay, so here's the thing. This is from uh, the director, the person who's going to be the director. They said this. Speaking to The Hollywood Reporter, the director said that her relationship to The Troubled Project was a much longer story than she could fully discuss. That's a book. But in brief, she explained that the film was so deep back in development hell that it may no longer even be a film. This is where it gets interesting. Things are the status quo on my side. I really love that project, and I do hope it can still happen in some way. I keep going through different thoughts. Uh, Prince, uh, I always mispronounce her, the second part of her last name, Bythewood, said, first, it was going to be the two of them, Silver and Black. Then the decision was made to separate the two and do a standalone. I think they were going to do like Silver Sable as a standalone film. Now, there's a thought of, hey, maybe we can put it on Disney Plus as a limited series. But I loved it more as a film with the two of them. So my hope is that one day it can still happen. That comes to us uh, from an interview uh, via Sci-Fi Wire from The Hollywood Reporter. This is fascinating on a couple of levels. First of all, d movies that go into development hell are always interesting. It's always kind of an interesting thing when you hear about movies going into development hell and do they ever get made and all that kind of stuff. But think about it, Rob. The ramifications. Now, they're not saying it is going to happen. She just kind of said that as an off-the-cuff. I mean, it was going to be a movie. And, not, and even somebody said, let's put it on Disney+. Plus." Wait, wait a minute. Time out. Put the brakes on that for a second. Even the suggestion of putting like a silver and black on Disney+, Plus opens up a whole can of worms of what does that mean and what are the ramifications of that. Look. As we saw, once we saw the Venom trailer, Rob, or the Morbius trailer, I should say. Right, right. right. Once we saw the Morbius trailer and we got Michael Keaton and we see the Spider-Man mirror on the wall and suddenly they're dropping hints that maybe there's going to be a bit of crossover and stuff like who knows, maybe it was a misdirect, maybe it was actually concrete, whatever. We're going to find out soon enough. We know that Kevin Feige is very, very protective of his universe and his characters and the stuff that he's doing. Even the suggestion that a silver and black, and who knows if this ever happens, but even the suggestion that a silver and black project could end up on Disney Plus, even theoretically, I think kicks the doors open on that whole stuff. like, whoa, whoa, how interconnected is this Sony Spider-Verse and the Marvel MCU supposed to be? Like, are, is there going to be like little nods to each other? Are we talking about full-blown integration? And again, I don't want to read too much into it. I'm just saying, Rob, that even the fact that they would suggest it raises a whole lot of possibilities and a whole lot of questions. Rob, you hear the director say this. And again, got to remind everybody, she didn't come out and say, Sony is making a concerted effort to put silver and black on Disney+. Plus. No, no. She said, look, there is even somebody mentioned, maybe we could put it on Disney+. Plus, But still... Even the suggestion of it, Rob, you hear about this. What are the first thoughts across your mind? 
Well, the ramifications are pretty staggering that you you that something produced at Sony would just go over to Disney Plus. I mean, the first thought I have is that maybe there's there there's a lot more closeness between the two companies going on than we we had we even knew. I, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me after seeing Michael Keaton show up in the trailer for um, for Morbius. Uh, I I. Honestly, I I don't know, John. I mean, if they're really forging those kinds of ties and they have made peace with the fact that they're each making their own movies, but there can be that kind of crossover between them and that there's more coordination than we might know. Well, in my mind, I think, well, maybe we'll get better movies, you know, and, and maybe that how interesting would it be that you have two different studios working in the same continuity? You know the same universe. So what one per, what one studio is making, but then again, I wonder. Well, if that's the case, then why wouldn't one or the other studio? I mean, I guess that they've made peace with the fact that there's a rights agreement that 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 Sony owns the rights to Spider-Man, and Marvel's like, well, I guess we have to work within these parameters, which means Disney has to work within in the in these parameters. And the, and I I honestly think, John, what's wrong with that? You know, if they could. If they could just, we get double, we, we, as long as one side doesn't screw the pooch and make some terrible movie <laughs> that, that where you're like, oh man, that was, that was some Thor dark world action over there. I mean, God, we can't allow that to happen again. But if there is that kind of coordination, I think we could end up, it could be pretty cool. Uh, just a side note, the first time I ever heard the term screw the pooch was Charlton Heston saying it in the Arnold Schwarzenegger, James Cameron film, uh, True Lies, which is my all time favorite action. I just want to throw <laughs> that out there. I, I, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, the, the ramifications of this are huge. And again, we're not trying to get ahead of ourselves. This was not a proclamation that this is happening, blah, blah. I just thought that the very suggestion of it opens up the possibilities that there must be some kind of pre-existing state that would allow somebody to even make that suggestion. So again, I don't want to jump on it too much, but I do think it's rather interesting. Guys, the question is, you hear about this and you hear these comments. What do you think about it? Do you think now it's just a throwaway idea? Ah, they just mentioned Disney Plus is yet another distribution possibility. Or do you think that maybe suggests the possibilities of a larger scale integration? Who knows? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campus Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics by going anytime over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's completely free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Tyron Edwards, who writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, Tyron. According to the Wall Street Journal, in three weeks of the digital release, Trolls sequel, which is Trolls uh, World Tour, has made more money for Universal Pictures than the original did during the five months in theaters which is actually completely factually incorrect. But we'll get to that in a minute. With this being such a digital success, will studios put more blockbusters out on VOD for the time being? Thanks, 
and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for that, man. And yes, I was taken aback and confused. I even put out a tweet about ESA saying somebody, wait a minute, time out, time out. Somebody explain this to me because the Wall Street Journal came out and made a broad sweeping proclamation that Trolls World Tour that, of course, went straight to VOD has made more money in its first 20 days than it did in all of its theatrical run, which I thought was interesting. It was interesting that they would say that because it's completely factually untrue. So I'm not really sure what which angle they were. T- I don't know if Wall Street Journal was saying, well, it's made more than just the domestic run of it did after you consider the X, Y, and Z or whatever, but it's just factually untrue. Now, Wall Street, not just Wall Street Journal, I'm sorry, Universal has been coming out and making vi- these grand proclamations and taking a victory lap about the success of Trolls World Tour on digital. But as Forbes properly points out in questions is it a hit the actual answer is no this movie is taking massive financial losses now we're going to go ahead and use the numbers here we're going to look at something here and we are just going to use the numbers that were in the wall street journal article itself okay this is where these numbers are coming from and i verified them at other sources as well but we're going to take the numbers from the wall street journal article itself let's actually look at how trolls world tour has actually done all right let's take a look at this first of all the production costs some say as low as 90 some say as high as 102 most of the reliable sources i said the production costs of trolls world tour was actually right around the middle there 95 million dollars which actually you know what good on them for making a big feature length cgi animated film for 95 million dollars actually kudos to them for that and keeping because a lot of these films you hear is 160 million dollars to make it they made it for 95 million dollars kudos to them So the production cost was $95 million. Now, the revenue after, and somehow I forgot to put in a T in the word after, after, revenue after the streamers cut, because remember, the streamers keep a cut. Uh, Some keep higher cuts like iTunes, some take lower cuts, but on average, it averages out to about 20%. So after the streamers cut, the amount of revenue that Trolls World Tour has made on its streaming after 20 days is 77 million dollars it was it's roughly 95 before the cut after the cut it's about 77 their math says okay so the movie has made 77 million dollars the marketing spend now universal put out a number that said they only spent 30 dollars on the marketing deadline put out a report saying no the uh, industry insiders are saying they spent nearly their full marketing blow of 80 to 100 million dollars on the marketing of the movie so let's split the difference there. Actually, let's even lean a little bit more towards Universal. Let's split the difference and say 60 million. All right. Deadline is saying the industry is saying they spent 80 to 100. Universal says they spent 30, which I don't believe for a second. So let's split the difference and let's say 60 million dollars they spent in their marketing. Okay. Now, Hulu signed a deal with Universal for the streaming rights to. Uh, Trolls World Tour. Now, I've read some reports that said that deal was worth as low as $10 million, but I did read one or two that said it was worth $25 million. So let's go in Universal's favor here. Let's go on the high end and let's say that Universal is going to get $25 million from Hulu for the streaming rights to the movie once uh, a certain period of time has passed. So that's $25 million for them, okay? So with the production costs and the marketing spend, 
they spent $155 million on trolls. Their total revenue, including the $25 million credit they're, they're going to get that we will credit them for the Hulu streaming deal, right now is $102 million. Ladies and gentlemen, as of right now, Trolls World Tour for Universal Studios is a $53 million loss. Let me repeat that number again. A $53 million loss right now. Now, they're not done. They're not done. They're going to they're gonna make some more money moving forward. But the vast majority of the lion's share of the money they're going to make, remember, we're already including in their streaming deal, is already done. And they're still $53 million in the hole. There's still $53 million in the hole. And that, Rob, was with, this is the funny part, that was with a lockdown, theaters closed, everybody's stuck at home, schools closed, and the kids are all at home. With all of that in their favor, with all of that working in their favor, there's still $53 million in the hole on this and yet universal has been out there taking a victory lap even though the fact that there's a lockdown there's a pandemic everybody's stuck at home everybody's looking for more entertainment the kids can't be in school they're at all home too we got to get something blah 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 even with all that there's still 53 million in the hole and they're running around with their universal flag taking a victory lap around the course it's like good for you in my best christian bale voice good for you well done with everything possibly with the stars aligning to work in your favor, you're still 53 million in the hole. It, it is, Rob, the definition of a PR spin. It is the definition of a PR spin. And I should bring up this, if I can find this here quickly. Um, oh, here we go. I, I want to bring up this thing that NATO then put out. Uh, well, you know, yeah, yeah, let's 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 do this. I, I want to, you know, what? no, no, we'll save that till later. Rob, anyway, you hear these numbers being thrown around. Uh, you hear all this kind of stuff. I guess the part of the question I ask is why not just say, yeah, it's, it's doing better than we thought rather than all the posturing and grandstanding. This is a movie that at the end of the day is going to lose money, even with all these circumstances lining up in their favor. And it still couldn't be profitable. I don't know. You take a look at this, Rob. I, I need to know your angle on this. What do you what do you see here? <clears throat> well, from what here, here's I guess my take on it's a little bit different in the sense that there they were talking the way I read this was they weren't talking about the profitability of the movie overall. Um, they were talking about the fact that Universal was able to take more money in rentals in for the distribution of this movie on pay VOD than if they had released it theatrically. Because if if you look at those numbers that you cited, and they're all, according to what I have in front of me too, they're accurate, but they don't take into consideration the production cost of the movie or anything like that. They're, 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 the article, like in this Deadline article, talks about just the rentals. And the, the point I think they're making is that Universal, because they've pretty much distributed distributed themselves for the most part um were able to make more money like a couple like 20 million dollars more money than they would with a split with the theaters and i think that's that's the real bone of contention here is is the point their point they're making is that 
it doesn't work if your movie like Die Another or No Time to Die, which costs two hundred fifty million dollars. We're not there yet, but a movie like Trolls, they're showing that. Well, see, if we distribute this ourselves and do it on pay VOD, we can take in more money on rentals than we would if we just distributed it theatrically. And because they've still got there's other ancillary markets and everything, and I think that's what that was what the theater owners were basically pissed off about, like. The, the studio, basically, what they did yesterday was they came out and they said, see, by cutting out the middleman, which is you, movie theater owners, we don't have to supply – their threat – I mean, it, they didn't come right out and say this, but their universe was basically saying, uh, yeah, you know, we could make 10 or $20 million more in profit if we just distributed our movies like this ourselves. We don't have to do it in theaters. And the thing about that is there's been a long-standing status quo between theater owners and studios that the theater owners are to understand that, yes, there is the theater owners want to make sure there's at least a three-month window before you start putting things on pay-per-view or putting things out on home video because it's not just first-run theaters. It's second-run theaters. It's theaters in more rural environments where – where people can still see these these movies as they spread out across the country because a lot of people don't live near multiplexes or big cities so they have to wait until the movies make it to their small towns and john i found out when we went to CinemaCon last year i talked to a lot of rural independent theater owners and that was a whole world i knew nothing about so i had some fascinating conversations and what universal was basically saying was screw you guys we can we don't have to put these kinds of movies in theaters and movie theaters are like we don't just want A-list blockbusters. We also need these movies that are family films that will play for three and four weeks as families keep coming to see these films. And, you know, movie theater chains can only live and die if they're supplied with movies by the major studios and Universal is a major studio. And they basically were saying, well, you know what, if it makes more sense. Maybe we won't release movies and like Trolls World Tour to theaters. Yeah, but it was so there. But there, even that position that they were taking was so disingenuous because it, it it assumes two fallacies. One, the first fallacy was they only relegated their figures to one market, which was the North American theater. Trolls, right. the first one, actually made three hundred and fifty million dollars. Yes, it, it, worldwide. And so for their account, they said, let's compare what we've made on all of our rentals, but only compare it to the North American uh, release only. That's disingenuous claim number one. Yep. The second disingenuous claim they make is this thing that, that even a bunch of the trades are buying into. This whole thing that the theaters and the studios do a 50-50 split. That is factually not true. Now, at some point, because what happens, Robin, you know this. There is a levitating scale that happens the longer that a movie is in theaters, right? So when a movie first comes out in its first weekend, the studios make a certain percentage and the theaters make a tiny percentage. The longer the movie is in theaters, the higher the percentage that the movie theaters get to keep. So for instance, in week four of a movie being in theaters, the theater gets to keep a larger chunk of that uh, ticket price than it did in week one. So it's an elevating scale as they go. At some point, yes, it does become a 50-50 split. 
But in that first week of release, Rob, it is not unusual for the mo- for the studios to keep 90% of the ticket price yeah. and the theaters only keeping 10%. And when does a movie make the vast majority of its money? In its first week or two. So yes, eventually, the longer it's in theaters, the more and more of the profit or of the ticket price that the theaters keep. But at when you at the end of the day, the way it all shakes out, and again, this is what they told me when I was at AMC theaters, was roughly works out to about 33%. That's really the keep. So there's two big fallacies here that Universal's trying to purport. One, they're comparing their global rentals versus just one domestic theater take and then two they're trying to perpetuate this idea that it's a 50 split it's not a 50 50 split it has never been the theaters would love for it to be a 50 50 split but it's never been that way and here's here's the part that concerns me is that when you've got if i'm universal here's my big concern that if if we were under normal circumstances no pandemic no lockdown Everybody can go to the theaters, kids are in school, all that kind of stuff. If we were in normal circumstances and Universal tried taking tried taking Trolls World Tour straight to VOD and it made them $95 million before the, the cut of the streamers, I'd say, you know what? That's way better than I would think that they would do. But if I'm Universal right now and I see that we made $95 million, really $77 after the cut, and we did have everybody stuck at home and we did have the kids not in school and we did have a full theatrical marketing campaign. I'm looking at that and I'm not feeling so good about it, but I mean, I don't know it. it, Look, I'm sure there, there are people Rob who are way above our pay scale, certainly way above (laughs) mine uh, that are trying to figure all this out. But I just think it's a lot of games, uh, by the way, on both sides. I think there's just a lot of PR games, gamesmanship being played right now. And we'll just have to wait to see how all these numbers actually start to shake out. Guys, question is, what do you think about all this? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, Let's move on to main topic number two. Buckle up, guys. And here we go. Main topic number two gets submitted to us by Fiaz A, who writes, Oh my God, John, AMC just said that they will no longer play any, any of Universal's films following Jeff Shell's comments on the uh, on-demand on success of Trolls 2. They really meant it when they said, we will not forget this. What are your thoughts on this news? And do you think this will be permanent? Thanks and have a great day. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And listen, this hit everywhere yesterday. And it's important that we talk about it. But it's also important that we clear a couple things up. First of all. Yes, there was a big statement that came out that said, oomph, here it is, and they dropped the hammer. This is what happened, and this is the order in which it happened, okay? So follow along with me here. A couple of days ago, the CEO of NBC Universal, Jeff Schell, went out and made this comment. Now, you have to understand, and Rob will be the first one to tell you this, that in this long-term relationship between studios and theaters, the most contentious thing you don't bring up at the dinner table during family meals the most contentious thing that exists between theaters and studios is the theatrical window that has always been the main point of contention uh, in their otherwise very healthy relationship and in the midst of all that 
Jeff Shell talking about the success of Trolls 2 said the following. As soon as theaters reopen, we expect to release movies on both theatrical and digital formats. That's what he came out and said. Essentially stating that we're going to try putting movies out on demand, on VOD, and in theaters all at the same time. Essentially, we want to destroy the theatrical window, which is terrible for their partners, the movie theaters. In response, AMC CEO Adam Aaron, who, by the way, was not CEO of AMC when I was there. Gary Sanchez was the CEO of uh, AMC when I was there. Uh, so I've, I've never met Adam Aaron myself. But Adam Aaron, CEO of AMC, said the following in, in a letter that he wrote to the chairman of Comcast, the bosses of NBC Universal, and said, going forward, AMC will not license any Universal movies in any of our thousand theaters globally on these terms. On these terms. All right. There are a couple things here that I think are going to be really important for us to keep in mind and keep at the forefront so we don't get lost in the details and miss some very important factors here. Factor number one, AMC has not outright banned Universal Films. Let's be clear about that. Number two, there's people going around saying AMC banned Universal because of what happened with Trolls 2. Not at all. Where the problem has started was because Jeff Shell said, we're going to start releasing movies theatrically and on VOD. AMC basically said, under those conditions, if you do that, Universal, if you try to set up a situation where you're going to try to put movies on theaters and put them out on VOD at the same time, effectively screwing us over, under those conditions, we are not going to play your movies. So it's important to understand that. It seems like a small detail, but it's a vastly important detail. It's a vastly important detail. The other thing you need to keep in mind is this. There has always been a rule. This isn't new. For AMC theaters, Regal, Cinemark, Landmark, all the participating theaters in NATO, the North American Theater Owners Association, all the participating theaters in NATO, they have always had a rule. It's always been in place. It was in place when I was still at AMC theaters, and that rule in place was simply this. We do not play day and date movies on our screens. What that means is we do not play movies on our screens that they're also going to put out on VOD at the same time. We don't do it. I remember when I was at AMC theaters, that was an issue with a particular studio that was trying to put out a particular movie, both in our theaters and on VOD at the same time. And we pulled the movie off our screens at the time. That's the same for Regal. That's the same for Cinemark. That has always been a rule. So you see Adam Aaron coming out and saying, hey, Universal, if you do that, we're not going to play your movies on our screens. That's not new. That has always been the rule. That has always been the rule that the theaters have always had because they need to protect themselves because that's not good for them or their business. So that's really important to keep in mind here that when Universal came out and said that they were coming out and spitting in the face of a commonly held practice and understand between these two business partners, the studios and the theaters for forever has always been part of that. But it was also, I believe, Rob, it was AMC basically saying to Universal, if you try to hurt us, we're going to hurt you right back. 
Because as we've just pointed out in the Trolls 2 situation, that even with all the circumstances lining up in their favor, even with all the circumstances lining up in their favor, Trolls 2 is going to end up being a financial disaster for Universal when it's all said and done. It's a financial disaster for them. And that is with everything working in their favor. If you don't believe and understand that Universal needs AMC Regal, because I guarantee you, if, a if Universal tries to do this, it's not just AMC that's not going to play their movies, Rob. Regal's not going to play their movies. Cinemark's not going to play their movies. Arclight's not going to play their movies. Landmark's not going to play their movies. Carmike's not going well, Carmike doesn't exist anymore. But none of these theater chains are going to play their movies if they do that because the theaters know that is bad for them and they've got to draw a line in the sand. Say, look, if you want to do that, you go ahead. But if you try to hurt us, we're going to hurt you. And let's see how much money you make when there's not a lockdown, when kids are back in school, when all the adults have all other types of entertainment options and all that kind of, let's see how you do. And it's not good. And Rob, this is a situation where you have two parties. This is like the Cold War between the US and Russia. This is mutually assured destruction. This is mutually assured destruction. Like the studios can completely screw over the theaters and the theaters can completely screw over Universal. And by the way, Universal is the only one doing this. Like, it seems like the theaters and all the other studios are get along, getting along great and doing the best they can to navigate these terrible situations that we're in and all that kind of stuff. But it's a, it's volatile, Rob. We've got, and then, by the way, by the way, so AMC makes this statement saying, you go ahead and do that. Forget, we're the biggest distributor in the world. You can forget us playing your movies on our screens. And then NATO comes out and starts bashing on them as well. Actually, let me read this quote here, Rob, because this, this quote is... Damning. This quote is absolutely damning. Um, where, where do we go? Uh, well, let's read this. Let's read this. This is from NATO. Okay. This is the North American theater owners talking about Universal. This is what NATO said. Without any knowledge of the facts or the common courtesy, this is all the theater owners. Without any knowledge of the facts or the common courtesy to inquire about those facts, Universal nonetheless made reckless charges uh, charge this evening that the company is disappointed by its seemingly coordinated attempt from AMC and NATO to confuse our position and our actions. Unfortunately, they go on to say, Universal has a destructive tendency to both announce decisions affecting their exhibiting partners without actually consulting those partners and now making unfounded accusations without consulting their partners. Rob, this is how seriously Universal takes what, you, what AMC just said to them. Universal takes it so seriously that they immediately came out with a statement to backtrack what Jeff Shell said earlier. And they came out and said, oh, no, 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 you just misunderstood us. You just misunderstood us. No, no, no. Because they pushed and they got pushed back. And as soon as they got pushed back, they were like, oh, no, 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 no. Well, we didn't mean it. We didn't mean it. This is just NATO and AMC trying to misrepresent what we were actually saying. What we meant was we're going to still put out movies theatrically and we'll look at putting out movies on digital when it's the appropriate movie to do that. Rob, when you know that the number one problem area between you and your business partners has always been theatrical window. And you make the statement that he made. He knew damn well what he was saying. Of course he, he did. He knew damn well what he was saying. And he got pushed back. And I think his bosses at 
um, Comcast came down hard on Jeff Shell and said, you walk that back right now. And immediately Jeff Shell came out hat in hand, tail between his legs and said, that's not what we meant. That's not what we meant. No, we're totally committed to the theatrical window. Yada, 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 yada. Rob, this is contentious and this could get more contentious because both these sides have to realize that they need each other. AMC's and, and the theaters of NATO and AMC, they've got to remember, they need the studio films to survive. The studios know in order to make the money they need, they need the movie theaters. And both of these sides have got to get their collective heads out of their asses and start sitting down and start working together to improve this for everybody instead of pissing at each other from across a demilitarized zone. They've got to get their heads together and straighten this out. So I don't know. Rob, anyway, you see this in the words of Ron Jeremy, uh, Rob, that escalated quickly. So what do you think about this whole thing as you look at this situation? I don't know. What do you make of it? Wait, Ron Jeremy or Ron Burgundy? <laughs> I said Ron Jeremy, didn't I? Where's your, where's your head at, John? I, I, said, Ron I said Ron Jeremy. <laughs> that, there's a different movie. There's I, a different I, movie altogether. <laughs> I was about to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different um, scenario altogether. But, but, but you know, If I might get I don't I don't want to be veering into political ground here, but I think this speaks to an overall problem that we have across our society. And that is, you know, what Universal is looking to do is maximize their profits. And there's nothing wrong with maximizing profits. However, if you think about movie theaters and relationships that they have with studios, they have a good thing going. They do. I mean, look at the box office of last year the, with Disney's, all the movies they made that went to a billion dollars. Movie theaters, uh, as a business being supplied by the studios, everybody comes out right. But nowadays, corporate interests are always looking. We have to, every, every quarter, every fiscal quarter, we have to maximize our money. Well, at some point, the pursuit of only profit is going to end up destroying every part of society because you have to have a fabric that works together. Movie theaters work with consumers and and it keeps the economy, the the whole economy of of the movie distribution system uh, is something that works and it's worked for a hundred years. It theoretically could work for another hundred years. And, and you need these things. You need the studios to say, okay, we will play fair with our distributors. We want movie theaters to be healthy. We want that environment to be working. We want AMC to spend $5 billion making their theaters better and partnering up with Dolby Labs to create Dolby, the Dolby Cinema Experience, which you, you and I both know is terrific. You know, you think a movie the, uh, a movie studio chain is going to spend money if they take over move, movie theaters to make sure the exhibition is as they're, they're not going to go spend an extra five billion dollars to make their theaters better. But AMC's one job is to show movies, movies that the studios give them. And when they spend their own money upgrading their theaters, it's better for everybody. It's better for the consumer. It's better for the movie studios because their product gets shown in the best possible light, which means people will buy it or download it later because they have fond memories of the experience they had in the theater. So 
it, this continuum should be preserved. And if one side decides, yeah, fuck it, we're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna theatrical windows, eh. well, then you're, 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 yeah, you might make some extra money in the short term, but what are you doing to that continuum in the long term? And does everybody just want to move into streaming? If you, if you, if you, that's what you want to do. You want to just get rid of exhibition. So you've cut out that middleman. Then just do it. Why, why make it this small incremental decline into chaos now for looking for a few extra bucks in the short term? I think we, we, we live in a society where people are doing that across the board. And at the end of the day, if all we care about is profit, we're all going to lose in the long run. Because what's important sometimes is also quality of life and the experience. Because movie studios should demand that their products are shown in the best possible light. And frankly, streaming ain't it. Streaming is the way you, you make maybe you maximize your dollars. But does it in the long run do more for you or not? And we've often talked about how when people throw up movies on a streaming service, you know, people watch them the first week and there's an excitement there. But you put something in a movie theater and it plays week after week after week and the box office numbers stay up because it's a huge hit, like something like Avengers Endgame. Well, doesn't that do better? Isn't that better in the long run when a movie is solidified in the public consciousness like an Endgame is or pick your movie that's made a billion dollars? I, I mean, even Aladdin. Aladdin made a billion dollars because people kept going to the movie theater and having a good time. And then later when they put it on streaming, it drives more subscribers. It's better off when the continuum is healthy, not when one company makes extra money up front in the short term. At least that's the way I see it. Guys, this is a, an evolving story, and, and I'm sure there are going to be more things said. Of course, Universal said something. AMC and NATO said something. Universal came out and said something else. I expect AMC to be say something else as well. So it does bring up the question that I wanted to put out to you guys. What do you think of this? So I made that the topic of today's question of the day. And in the question of the day, I simply asked you guys, Universal stated that they'll look at releasing movies on screens and home video at the same time. AMC says they'll ban Universal Films if that happens. Will Universal Films play at AMC and really, by extension, any of the NATO movie theaters? Um, we discussed on the show. I asked you guys that just before the show started. About 1,800 of you guys have responded. 18.9% of you are saying, no, Universal Films at AMC. Nope, there's not going to be any Universal Films at AMC. However, 81.1% of you are thinking, listen, these guys got to know this is mutually assured destruction. They will work it out. Somehow, some way, they've got to work it out. That's where it stands right now. So I ask you guys, what do you think is going to happen here? Do you think that AMC, and I guarantee you, it will be all the movie theaters will ban Universal Films or do you think they both realize they need each other in time and figure this out and work it out? I want to know what you guys think. Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. And I can't wait to get to our live questions because I'm sure a lot of people are going to have a lot of live questions <laughs> and interesting points of view on this. But before we get to live questions, we got one more off the top. And the next topic off the top and our third topic here today gets sent in to us by Stephen Calderon, who writes, Now You See Me 3 is in the works. I enjoyed the first two films. However, the second film was a disappointment. 
um, in the domestic box office, but still made strong numbers overseas. Do you think audiences here in the States would still be interested in seeing a third installment of this franchise? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, the long awaited, if there's people looking forward to it. Now you see me. Part three is apparently back in development again. The studios announced that they do have a screenwriter now on board that has an interesting take on it. Interesting enough, they don't guarantee the original cast members will be back. They just said their new take on a new Now You See Me will have room for the original characters to appear, but it doesn't sound like it's going to focus on any of the original characters at the same time. I am... I got to tell you, Rob, sometimes a movie announcement comes out that makes me scratch my head a little bit. And, and I got to say, this is one of them. Now, I'm not I'm not against this, but I got to admit, this one makes me scratch my head a little bit, because on the one hand, I like the first Now You See Me movie. I thought it was clever. I thought the second one was bad. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. I thought the second one was bad. And while it almost made as much money worldwide as the first one did. The domestic numbers dropped a lot. There was a big drop in domestic numbers. Overall, worldwide, made almost as much as the first one. But I thought the quality dropped, and clearly the interest in North America in the film dropped. And they just went too wacky. Like the first one, they're pulling off all these amazing illusions. But then in the second one, there was nothing illusion about. They were just pretending they had immense galactic-level universal magical powers. They They just went so ridiculous on it. And it just didn't work. The story didn't work. I like Daniel Radcliffe in it. I like Michael Caine. But it just didn't really work for me at all. And then they waited and waited and waited for to, to do another one. And now it just seems like even if it would have been a good idea at the time, it feels like any opportunity to really do this has come and gone. So... Look, Rob, I hope every movie does well. I hope every movie is great. I if this if they're going to do this, I hope it's great. I hope I can go and enjoy it and have a good time with it and all that kind of stuff. But I got to say from a business point of view, when you look at all the circumstances, this one makes me scratch my head a little bit. I I don't actually see the wisdom in moving forward with a movie like this. Rob, do you see it differently? Do you think there could be a hunger out there for a film like this, whether the original cast is back? Maybe it hasn't been too long. I, I, maybe you love the second film. I'm not sure. What do you think about this? You know, I like the first movie quite a bit, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, me too. I love the cast. I love the breezy, you know, caper combined with magic. There was something about it I found kind of irresistible. Um, it, it it lives and dies by its screenwriting. And in a way, I kind of felt the same way about the second one as I felt about Ocean's 12. I didn't like Ocean's 12 nearly as much as I liked Ocean's 11, Soderbergh's Ocean's 11. And I thought Ocean's 13 was better, but still not as good as the first one. But I think that these this franchise has a certain clearly the reason they would uh, uh, it, it did well on home video. And it certainly has to have done well on streaming to justify this. People are like, this is a franchise people really like. And I think that's why there are other numbers, not just the box office numbers, the critical numbers that we've seen or that they've seen. They're like, people like this franchise. Let's make another one because it's it's a perennial thing that I think people will always watch. You know, like you're clicking through like the other day I told you I watched Molly's Game again on Netflix. I don't think Molly's Game is the best movie in the world, but it's really good. 
and I, I really like I really like everything about it. Uh, Idris Elba is great in it. I, I love uh, uh, it's just it's just a great film. So it's one of those movies where I'll click on and watch. The same is true of this franchise. If it's on cable or it just pops up, I'm like, oh, I like that movie. And I think that probably drives up its figures. So it's probably done really well in ancillary markets. So they're like, this is the kind of movie that is a perennial favorite. People will watch this movie forever. And maybe now that people have seen the first and second one more, they might go out and see the third one if we put it in theaters. I guess. <laughs> I guess. I, yeah. I mean, hey, listen, I, I think it is a franchise with potential. Looking at the world yeah. of illusions and magic and all that kind of stuff. I just hope that if they do move forward with it, it's that'll be a step up from number two. It just it requires this more than any kind of movie in order for it to work. It has to have a great script. You know, yeah. it really, the caper has to be great because the magic and the fun can only take you so far. At the end of the day, if you get to the end and you're like, wah, 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 you know, oh man, that was dumb. I hate that about movies. When it, when the caper turns out to be stupid in the end, there's, there's nothing worse than when you're watching a movie like this and at the end it makes no sense. Because it's, it's the re- that's the payoff, right? That's the yeah. that's the payoff for the audience is figuring out how. Okay, now show how you did it, and it's like number. Mm. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway, question here is, guys. Honestly, what do you think about this? Like, maybe there's a lot of you guys who are actually really excited about the idea I, of I a now you see me three. I What's love that? how you and I want this to be good. Like, we're I, like of course we want yeah, it to we, be good. We want it to be good. Like, I, I mean, but this is really a franchise that we both, I think, we like this. Fred, please be good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I want the. Tr- I want the Toronto Maple Leafs to win the Stanley Cup. I don't think it's going to happen, but I want it to happen. I want this to be good. Anyway, so, guys, maybe there's a bunch of you who are actually really looking. Maybe you love this news and you're really looking forward to it. Maybe you're thinking like me. It's like, really? That's the movie you're moving forward with? But what do you guys think? Jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, we're now going to move into our live question segment of the day. And as we have been doing, we're going to get things kicked off with the earlier questions that got sent in. And we're going to, you know, Rob and I are going to take a little bit of a break here. So for now, I'm going to throw this over to Earth to John to get us started with the earlier questions that got sent in. And Rob and I will be back live in just a couple of minutes. Take it away, Earth to John. Well, thank you so much, Earth One John. And before we get into the questions, just want to remind all my Earth Two viewers, don't forget, guys, with the pandemic now behind us and the theaters open again, the theaters open tonight with Man of Steel 2. Man, we've been waiting for that for a long time. Can you believe it was just a few months ago that there were rumors they weren't going to do another Man of Steel with Henry Cavill? That would have been terrible. All right, let's move on here, shall we? Matt Thornton writes, my most oh sorry no there's one behind that that i mentioned missed here uh matthew melagrano writes i hate to say onward onward you probably meant the pixar film onward hate to say onward looked rushed oh it didn't feel rushed i mean look every film is going to hit everybody differently but i mean i thought onward was a beautiful film was it one of the best pixar films like do i put on the same level as a toy story 3 or something or the incredibles no i I don't rank it that high but i thought it was a beautiful emotionally authentic kind of movie that i thought was magical and whimsical and i I didn't think it felt rushed at all personally but everybody will have different experiences all right matt thornton writes my most excited to see is thor 4 captain marvel 2 
Doctor Strange 2, Black Panther, and Blade. Now, that's if Blade plays there because they just, I believe, gave up their release date to Spider-Man for Sony to make it sure it probably fits into their chronological order in the MCU. But yeah, I man, the between Thor 4 and Doctor Strange 2 is the tough one for me because they are both... I'm so excited to see both, but that Sam Raimi directing... Doctor Strange 2 element is just so intriguing that I have to give that one my top spot. I mean, but I think they're all going to be good. I mean, that's my guess. My guess is that they're all going to be good, Matt. And I think the winners are going to be you and me. On Next one up, Cody Cordy writes, Hey, John, just watched another Adam Sandler film. Watched Punch Drunk Love, WTF. It's so weird and unexplainable that I love it. Now I need to watch Spanglish. You do need to watch Spanglish. Uh, by the way, what is with the pudding? Great acting from Sandler in this film. You know what's neat, Cody, is that Adam Sandler's been coming up a lot around the, the channel lately, and it is still amazing, especially after coming off of watching Uncut Gems, which I know a lot of people are giving Adam Sandler a lot of props for his acting in that, and well-deserved. His acting in it's spectacular, but it's not his best acting performance. And it's not it's like it's the first time he's done a great dramatic acting performance. It still shocks me to this day. When you think of all the great classic comedies that Adam Sandler has done, I contend, a lot of people look at me funny, but I stand by this. I contend Adam Sandler is an even better dramatic actor than he is a comedic actor. And a couple of these films, one you've mentioned, are just examples, but there's others as well. And the one I always point back to that still a lot of people have never seen is his movie, Rain Over Me. I'm telling you, that movie is his best performance. I absolutely adore it. So good on you, Cody, for getting caught up on those Adam Sandler films. And now, if you haven't done so, make sure you go and watch Rain Over Me. You'll be glad that you did. Okay, uh, next up, uh, Lewis Dodson writes, I recommend The 100. I've had a few people recommend that to me over the years. It's a CW show, so there's some teenage angst drama, uh, like all of their shows, uh, but it's really good, though. Have you seen? I have not. But you know what? The funny thing is, I am into see some CW stuff, not just the DC Arrowverse. Like, I've always liked Supernatural. That's always been one of my favorites to watch and stuff like that. I, I don't mind the CW. And I think the... You know, the marketing I've seen for the 100 has been intriguing, but I've just I've just never gotten around to it, you know. And I've heard a few people actually over the last couple of years have written in to say the 100's kind of a good show, maybe I should check it out, and it's definitely on my radar. So no, I have never seen it, but it is on my radar. I've never heard anything bad about it, so it's on my radar. Hopefully one of these days I'll get around to watching that. Thanks for the recommendation, man. I appreciate that. All right. Uh Cy Blakemore writes. Guilty pleasure of mine is Flash Gordon. Well, I don't think you have to call that a guilty pleasure. I think there's a lot of people. I mean, hell, the entire movie, Seth MacFarlane's movie, Ted, was basically based on the love of Flash Gordon, right? So don't you feel guilty about loving Flash Gordon? A lot of people love that one, man. All right, Alex Powers writes, Hey, John, with physical media slowly dying in the United States, how long do you see 4K Blu-rays lasting? About as long as physical media. Uh, and do you think 8K Blu-rays will ever be a thing? 8K TVs are already big in Japan. You see, I honestly don't understand why... 8K, look, look, the basic thing is this. The human eye can't perceive the difference. The human eye can't perceive the difference. I think there's advantages to 8K from a production point of view. But it's like, at a certain distance, depending on how you, far you sit away from your TV, I mean, right TV, calibrated properly, all that kind of stuff, the human eye can't perceive a distance, uh, can't perceive a distance, depending on the distance you're sitting at, between a 1080 Full HD TV and a 4K TV. It just can't. At certain distances, you can. At certain distances, you can't. 8K, I don't know, to me, and I could be way wrong about this. I could be way wrong about this. But to me, it seems like it's just a consumerism thing. Like... 
everybody's bought the TV and that nobody needs a new TV. What do we do? Well, let's create a TV that with something that nobody needs, but we'll make it sound great. 8K, right? I don't know. I certainly don't. I've never seen felt the need. And I don't really think 8K discs will ever become a prominent thing because I think before they get a chance, and I'm just speculating here, I think before they get a chance to become a prominent thing, I think pretty much no one's going to have physical media anymore. Like already the biggest players in the game are no longer producing physical Blu-ray players, for example. Like Samsung, the world's number one producer of Blu-ray players, they've stopped production. They're not making Blu-ray players anymore because they see the way things are going. So I don't know. I, I, I got to say my guess right now is that 8K will never become, I mean, they'll exist, but will they, will they ever become a standard? No, I, I don't think they will because I think physical media will probably be gone before they get a chance to do that. But you never know. I mean, cultural shifts happen all the time. Let's see what happens, Alex. All right. Nexus writes, uh, pretty sure Disney let Sony have that October 7th, 2022 date for Spider-Verse 2. We won't see Blade until 2023. That is likely, although it is important to keep in mind that the MCU has made no such announcement, right? But then again, to be fair, the MCU never actually officially said that that October 7th date was being held for Blade in the first place. I think a lot of us just made that assumption based on some fairly reasonable pieces of evidence. But it was never official that it was going to come out on that date. And as of right now, they're never said officially that it's not coming out on that date. So you, you could very well be right on that. You could very, very well be right about it not coming out until 2023. But who knows? We'll have to wait and see. It would be kind of exciting to see one, two, three, four, five MCU films come out in 2022. It would be kind of a great year for that. All right. Final question today, guys, comes to us from Ben Rayner, who writes, Hey, John. Imagine if in 1979 you read in Empire Strikes Back, Luke loses a hand. People would have gotten pissed off. Not knowing the context about Vader and Luke's conversation, how would you have felt if you read that with no context? And what I'm going to assume here is that Ben is referring to the leaks for Last of Us 2. Because Last of Us 2, a video game, some very major, major, major spoilers got leaked. And now they're all over the place. And there are people freaking out about these. I won't say what the information is, but about these little pieces of information. And people are completely freaking out about it. And my response is, you don't know what the context of it is. And that's one of the real unfortunate things about people acting like jackasses and spilling you know, information about something early. It, it, it sucks that it happens. It's true. But then people hear a piece of information and they instantly react to it. And now it's too late. You've had your reaction even though you've never, you never had a chance to find out that information in the flow of the narrative and in the context of the story, because your reaction might have been a thousand percent different if you had seen it within the flow of the story and the context of the narrative. It might have been a thousand percent different, but you won't know. And I think what Ben is referring to here is, can you imagine today, like if Empire Strikes Back hadn't come out yet and just a piece of information came out, yeah, Luke Skywalker gets his hand chopped off. But we love Luke Skywalker. We don't want his hand getting chopped. But when you see it in context of the movie, it's powerful and it's awesome. Now, listen, I'm not saying that's what is going to happen with Last of Us 2. Maybe it'll be terrible. Might be terrible. But the unfortunate thing is, and all I'm trying to say is, try not to form an opinion about whether the information you've heard is good information or bad information until you've seen it in the context of the story. Because I think, I feel like Ben is right. If we were in a different scenario and that piece of information came out about Empire Strikes Back, I think people would have instantly grabbed onto that and just reacted completely negatively. Understandably, to a degree. 
But so, yeah, the one bit of advice I would give people is don't get worked up about it until you see it in the context of the story. I think that's the most important thing. All right, guys, that's my time for now. It's time for us to throw it back over to John on Earth One. Thanks for letting me be here. Let's get back to the live questions. All right, now back to our world without a Man of Steel 2, and let's keep right on rolling with the questions. The next one up comes to us from who, uh, Tifska. Tifska writes, people are watching The Office uh, because they miss, well, The Office. We spend a third of our time in a certain environment developing a habit. I may start listening to sounds of printers and faxes to feel balanced. Uh, what sound or environment do you miss? Well, Rob, I was telling you the other day that I actually really miss the sound of, of a restaurant. I hate go. I, I, I miss going to restaurants here. So when, when Ann and I sit down and have dinner now, we actually play YouTube videos that are just ambient sounds of restaurants. <laughs> just, yeah. just to make us feel like we're still in our regular routine. Is there anything you miss from your, but Rob, you're kind of like me, you work from home. So, I mean, yeah. you and I are lucky in a way that we haven't been affected as much as a lot of other people out of our routines because we work from home already. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and uh, the last, month and a half i've been incredibly productive as as have you um but you know I, I have to say i miss like you said i miss the sound of restaurants and i miss water being poured and the clink of silverware on a plate you know i miss i miss slurping noises and usually i hate slurping noises i just i miss the idea of being in in places with people because you know when you go to a restaurant or you go to you go shopping or you go into a movie theater there there is a positivity because everybody likes good meal everybody <laughs> likes to go shopping and say oh i wonder if like, here's a new pair of shoes or a new it's like the beginning of love actually when everybody goes to the airport you know now airports kind of can be a pain in the ass but when you're going to meet somebody you haven't seen in a long time there's going out in public for the most part is a pretty positive experience and i miss that I mean, I yeah. miss going to KitCraft to buy model paint because there's always somebody in there buying things for their. It's a it's a hobby store in in uh, Studio City, but there's always someone buying beads for their whatever they're making or you know model rocket parts. I don't know. I mean, it's just fun to see people out there pursuing their lives. I, I I miss that. I mean, I might see one person when I walk the dogs, and then that person's suspect. It's like, why are you on the street with me? <laughs> <laughs> Why are we walking past one another? What are we going to do? Are we going to distance? I'm tired of that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, let's move on to the next one here. Uh, Breston Buckner writes, what is your biggest guilty pleasure movie? Mine used to be Ghost Rider 2, but now, I'm almost ashamed to say, is Cats 2019. I don't know why, but I enjoy it. Listen, never apologize for a movie that you like. That All movies hit us in different ways, and if that movie hit you in the right way and you enjoyed it, then you enjoyed it. I got to say, mine is and has always been. Well, there's two. Um, one is, um, the main one is Cool as Ice starring Vanilla Ice. Uh, that movie I can watch a thousand times for the rest of my life. Uh, and the other one is, of course, uh, uh, Megaforce uh, with Ace. Megaforce. Life is like a wheel. It all comes around. Luis Cortez writes, maybe I'm the only one, but Magnolia and There Will Be Blood are two movies that the performances are world class, in my opinions. But I don't know what to think about the movie. Have you had this experience? Love the show. And you should come to Puerto Rico. Oh, I would love to visit Puerto Rico sometime. Oh, yeah. The performances of Magnolia and There Will Be Blood are great. And I know what I think of There Will Be Blood. I think it's amazing. Uh, another mm, another film. Rob, do you got any films off the top of your head 
that you can think of that, you know, maybe the movie was so great, but man, the performances in it were just insanely good. Like, was, is there any movie that jumps out to you? Dude, you know what? There is. And there's a movie I think I love more than anybody else. And here's your cast. Kurt Russell, Mel Gibson, Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, okay, Raul, I know where you're going. <laughs> Raul Julia. Tequila Sunrise. I love Tequila Sunrise. And I, I, I you know, it's, it's not the greatest movie in the world. But everything about it is like first class, A-list, uh, great screenwriter, director, great actors, great clothes, great music. Great secondary character actors. I love everything about it. But it's, you know, it's it's a good movie. Oh, but I go. love it so much. <laughs> all right. Next up, Mr. TJ Lynn writes, Dark Knight was my favorite comic book of all time um, until I saw Logan. Probably meant comic book movie of all time. Until I saw Logan. It was on my top five of 2017. I also found that Hugh Jackman is an amazing actor. The Prestige, Les Mis, Prisoners, Logan, The Greatest Showman. Seriously, what can't he do? And by the way, he's in the just released HBO movie called Bad Education, which is crazy. Look, I have made the argument and I stand by it today. He is the greatest all-round entertainer in the world. He can sing, dance, world he's world-class singer, world-class dancer, world-class actor. He's a Broadway-level dude. He can do it all. Now there are other people who can sing and dance and act, but nobody when you average out, I mean he's a, he's a multi-academy award nominated actor. He's going to win an academy award at some point. He can do comedy, he can do period piece, he can do musical, he can do drama, he can be the baddest ass in all of comic book movies for almost a decade or more. It's it's Hugh Jackman, man, and he's and he's in the Greatest Showman. Luis Cortez writes to Murray Reich. My favorite scandal movie in the last few years is Spotlight. Oh, that one's good. It is um, good. A movie that won Best Picture at the Academy. It has world class performances. They knew they and they let it happen to kids. Scene by Ruffalo is my favorite scene. Mark Ruffalo, Rob, um, Amy Adams, uh, not Amy Adams, uh, Rachel McAdams, um, Michael Keaton. That is a powerhouse stacked movie. One best picture, and yet nobody talks about it anymore. And it truly is a magnificent film. What did you make of it? I loved it too. I mean, give me, I love those kinds of movies. You know, uh, anybody uncovering a scandal, or I, 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 I'm a sucker for those kinds of stories. Always good to see. All right, next up, uh, Francisco C. Uh, sends in a couple super chats just to be supportive. Thank you, Francisco. We appreciate that, man. Uh, Luis Cortez writes, this is this show. I assume you mean the John Campy show. Uh, this show helped me through Hurricane Maria, my grandmother's and uncle's passing, earthquakes, and now coronavirus. This community means a lot to me, and you may not know this, but you guys helped me uh, fight through that and earn a basketball scholarship in college. Oh, dude, that's awesome to hear. And it, it's seriously one of the nicest things you can possibly write in um, to us. You know, I, I can tell you that Rob and I, um, we we talk offline. We talk off show uh, quite often about the, we'll share stories with each other about messages we get from people um, who tell us what not just we, but the community, the movie fan community, you guys. Yeah have meant to them and how it helps get them through their day and help them overcome certain things. And it's not something you think about, Rob, when you're just some idiot sitting in front of a camera talking about movies. But it's always amazing to hear those types of stories. And uh, 
Luis, that's awesome. And uh, thank you. I know Rob appreciates that. I know I appreciate that. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. And I'm, the film fan community appreciates it as well. And we are glad that you are here being a part of that film fan community and being that for other people as well. So thanks a lot for sharing that, Luis. That's a, that's a great thing to say. Um, Alvin Elmore writes, I recently rewatched Disney's Hunchback and holy F is that movie dark. I've been talking about that lately, right? That is a dark movie. Um, you got a racist, sexually frustrated deacon threatening uh, a woman to sleep with him or else he burns her at the stake. I don't think they can make a live action version of this, at least not for Disney plus Rob. I was talking about that the other day, like that song when he says burn, like when he's singing, it's like, this is an effing dark movie. I think it was uh, Demi Moore did the voice of the, of the lead girl, if I'm not mistaken. That is a really good movie, but it's a very different kind of movie because it's dark as hell. What are your thoughts on it? I I really like it, but yes, it is. And, uh, you know, it's almost kind of forgotten now. It yeah. Just, it, it never enters the conversation, and maybe that's why. Not I the like most it. Not the most kid in the kid-friendly uh, oh. repertoire of Disney. No, it's, I would have loved a, it when I was a little kid, though. If I saw oh. it when I was like eight, I'm like, ooh, this is good. Yeah. Oh, God. What was the name of the character? Es- was it Esmeralda? Was that the name of the Demi Moore character? I, I, I think so. so. I can't remember. Oh, God, but it's a good movie. All right. J.R. writes, um, as I was born in 1997, some movies I would absolutely love to see on the big screen are my top three films, the original Star Wars trilogy, the OG Lion King, and the OG Jurassic Park. Well, the neat thing is that all of those had returns to the big screen. Uh, Star Wars did. Of course, it was a special edition, but whatever. It's still Star Wars. Uh, just a couple of years ago, Celebrating one of their anniversaries, uh, Disney uh, remastered and converted it to 3D and, and put out Lion King in theaters again just a bunch of years ago. I remember I did the interviews for that for uh, with uh, when I was with the AMC. And, of course, not too long ago, Jurassic Park had to revisit. So I won't be surprised at all, Jay, if all those films get to make their way back to the movie theaters again at some point, especially if they open their doors before the new th- the new movies start rolling out. Those are three prime candidates. So I'm with you on that, Jay. Jay also writes, also... If this were to happen, theater showing older films, would it be remiss of Disney to not show classic princess films in a double feature, perhaps, or other classics like Mary Poppins and Fantasia? I, I don't. Here's the thing, Rob. And Rob, correct me if I'm if you think I'm wrong here. I don't think that's really going to be the studio's decision. I think that'll be up to the theaters to decide which archive movies they want to do. And frankly, I think the studios, knowing they need people getting back in the habit of going to the movie theaters, the studios will probably just, yeah, just take whatever movie you want and go and play them. Do you think people would go back out for the classic princess ones? Or do you think you got to go for bigger blockbusters? Uh, Well, you know, with kids, kids will watch those movies wherever. I mean, I think you take them to a movie theater and give them some popcorn and make it an event. They'll do it. They'll go and watch. But I think to get other moviegoers in, like I was saying, what I was saying on the show the other day, man, looking at these 4K transfers of Bond movies, I want to see that 4K transfer from Russia with Love in a theater. Put those Bond movies in a theater, man. I'll go. I'll I'll turn up. You know, I think right. the studios are going to have. I mean, the the theaters are going to have to tailor their films to the their their movie going audience. I I think that's a good point. All right. Tyrone 27 writes, Hey John, when the odd question was put to you yesterday about aliens and movie censorship, uh, you described the violence example with transformers being cut down the middle. My mind immediately went to to bone Tomahawk. Uh, That movie still affects me. Rob, I don't know. I don't know if you ever had a chance to watch bone Tomahawk. 
Oh, dude, I love Bone Tomahawk. I love Brawl and Cell 33 or whatever, and then Dragged Across Concrete, his latest movie. So good. I love them all. But Bone but, Tomahawk uh, is dope. All, all you have to do for anybody who's seen the movie, as soon as somebody says Bone Tomahawk, you're, all of our minds go to the exact same scene. Like, it's kind of like when somebody says Jojo Rabbit to me, my mind instantly goes to the shoe scene. With Bone Tomahawk, anybody who's seen the film, you know what you think about. Because it was like one of the most visceral, like, oh, like things I have ever, ever, ever seen. So I I don't know. Do you find that to be true, Rob? Like when you think of that movie, that's the first thing. Yes. Yes. It's so, so brutal, Tyrone. So you're so right about that. All right. Willow writes, uh, when a movie's better received by the audience than critics, it may be because the audience is a base that's primed to like the film. Uh, what do you think is the cause when the reverse happens? Example, Spy Kids, uh, King Kong 2005, uh, The Witch, Uncut Gems. Um, I, that's the thing. Like so many like the vast majority of the time there's a misconception out there that you know the audience score and the movie critics score are always so different it's like no the most most of the time like they're within 20 percent of each other most of the time but because all films subjective and different people go to movies to find different things every once in a while you will find one that there will be a difference in the rating sometimes you're right like sometimes you put bmx superheroes and you you make a movie about bmx writers being superheroes okay who's more likely to go see that probably bmx aficionados right people who who appreciate the bmx game and they are more likely to like the film so they may come out but somebody who wouldn't be into that isn't even going to the movie to give their rating of it afterwards except movie critics movie critics are going they kind of represent the average person they're not going there with a love for bmx's nor a hatred for bmx's they're just going to watch the movie Most people who aren't into BMXs aren't going to go watch BMX superheroes. So sometimes that's the case, but sometimes it's just a matter of the subjectivity of film. You're gonna get up. You're gonna get movies from time to time when when the critics will really not like it and audiences will, or vice versa. Critics really like it and others won't. Like I and a lot of the critics love uh, Witch. Rob was one of the examples that Willow brought up. Love the Witch, but there were a bunch of people went to go see it wasn't the type of movie they were looking for and 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 the critic the audience rating wasn't as high what do you usually uh kind of write that up to when that well, happens know, I, I i think it's what what people want out of movies uh, you know when you say horror films like if something is a critically acclaimed horror movie i think there's a lot of audience that expect those visceral jump scares or things that are more pulpy Whereas a movie like The Witch is getting a lot of critical acclaim, it is a very thoughtful, intelligent film that that relies a lot on mood. It's it's more of an intellectual exercise. And I think when people think horror, they're not thinking necessarily that. You know, they want in-your-face splatter or in-your-face scares where The Witch isn't that thing. So when you hear, as a horror fan, if you hear, oh, this movie sounds incredible, and you go to it, and it's not the kind of horror movie that you want, then you walk away disappointed. And I think that was true. I talk to a lot of people when I say how much I like The Witch, and they're like, you did? I thought it was so boring. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it really depends what you're looking for out of a movie. 
Yep, I agree. All right, uh, next up here, Saber Wolf writes, Hey, John, longtime viewer and fan. A fan loved the show. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. I love the schmodown you did, Council versus Force Bros. Uh, in your humble opinion, who wins in a head-to-head Star Wars trivia, you or Sam Witwer? Well, look, let's be very honest here. Sam Witwer's a beast. He's a beast. Mm-hmm. Now, I would be remiss, Rob, not to point out that Sam Witwer and I have competed against each other twice in Star Wars movie trivia. (laughs) And I beat him both times. (laughs) Just wanted to point that out. We we did the, when it was Council versus Force Bros, and when we did at Star Wars Celebration, we had our special match at Star Wars Celebration. Now, of course, it wasn't just him and I. It was a a five-way match, and uh, I I, I beat him. You're really good. I'd never done trivia with you until we practiced... You know, you were, we were doing that online we, we, test. Well, You're yeah, really good we, at we, all trivia. We teamed You're up. good at trivia. We teamed up once. You and I yes. you and I teamed up once, and you and I were undefeated as a we team, were, as a matter of fact. We were undefeated. Who did we beat again? Who did we beat again? Did we beat the Shire Wolves? Did we beat Clark no, Wolf? And, no, oh, it, uh, was, um, it was uh, Edgar. I don't remember. I'd have to go back and look. No, it was um, it was oh, what's his name? He was he was the guy you were going back and forth with with the inner geekdom title. Oh, H- Hector Navarro. Hector, not Edgar. I'm sorry, Hector, Hector Navarro and Navarro. Adam. I think was his. What was the name of their team? Hector and and uh, Adam. They had they were. Yeah. Um, I can't remember, but you and I beat them. But on but but seriously though, it, it, seriousness, Sam Witwer is a beast. Yeah, he is. He's an absolute beast. Uh, and if he and I, honestly, if he and I did one-on-one and had 10 matches, I I don't know. I I, I think he wins five of them. If, right. I think if I went head-to-head, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to dodge the question, but I honestly think if I went head-to-head with Sam, who I'm 2-0 against, but... Honestly, he's such a beast. I th- I think we split it. I think he wins five of the times. I think I win five of the times. Yeah. But make but make no mistake about it, he is an animal. That dude, he's so good. And here's the thing too, the thing about Sam Witwer, he does it with style. Like he not only answers questions, like he's just a great competitor. And really entertaining to watch. I mean, I know I've sat at the table with him, competing with him. And sometimes I just ca- get caught up in just watching Sam Witwer compete. And just the <laughs> style in which he does it. He's amazing. He's yeah. absolutely amazing. I think the dude is great. Um, anyway, uh, next up, uh, Basil writes, uh, one of two. My birthday was a few days ago. Happy belated birthday to you, my friend. A few days ago. And I like to take this time each year to rewatch some of the films that deeply impacted me throughout my life. One film I'd like to recommend is uh, is Infinitely Polar Bear with Mark Ruffalo and Zoe Saldana. Um, it's about a man with a bipolar disorder having to take care of his two daughters while his wife is away for school. I battle b- bipolar uh, disorder myself and this film impacted me to me it's the best portrayal um bd i've ever seen bipolar disorder and it always makes me smile i gotta tell you what rob i'm not familiar with this film are you familiar with it, it mark ruffalo and zoe saldana I-, I was like i don't know it at all i don't know it at all but uh, i'll tell you what basil you just spe- spoke to one of the most powerful things about movies and storytelling because 
stories and movies, they, they talk about the world the way it is, the way we dream it could be. It expresses our hopes and our fears, our aspirations uh, and our goals and, and all that kind of stuff. But also, it's amazing when we can find movies that we feel speak to our circumstances and speak to our uh, existence. You know what I mean? There's something really special about that. And uh, I think that when you can find a movie like that, that speaks to you, whatever your unique circumstances are, I think that's one of the best things about movies, man. And I think that is awesome that there is a movie that is that for you. I think that's incredible. So uh, thank you for sharing that, man. I appreciate it. And I need to go and look up this movie because I, I can't believe it's got Zoe Saldana and Mark Ruffalo. I'm not familiar with it. So I absolutely have to go and check this out. So thank you for putting that on our radar, man. All right. Uh, let's see. J.R. writes, one last one I forgot to mention. I would hop on a plane to California ASAP if there was a chance to sit next to, at a socially acceptable distance, the John, the John Campia and watch Man of Steel on the big screen again. Ugh, I love that movie. Dude, you and me both. I love Man of Steel. I, I would love to watch that on the big screen again. I, if they put that on the big screen again, I'd be there in a heartbeat. Not a lot of other people would. But you and I can be there. You and I can be there. All right, next up, Major Tom writes, Hey, John, according to the rap, it seems that AMC won't book any more Universal movies after the Trolls World Tour fiasco. Apparently, that's in retaliation for Universal doubling down on doing simultaneous VOD and theatrical releases. Karma's a bitch. Well, I mean, again, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier. To be clear, all the movie theaters of the North America theater owners have always had a rule that they will not play movies that try to do day and date releases that they release in theaters and on VOD at the same time. That's not just AMC and it's not just something they made up. That's been around for a long time. Also universal. It's not has anything to do with trolls. It has nothing to do with trolls. It's all about whether or not universal does this. Now, remember, as soon as AMC put out their statement saying, Hey, if you're going to do that, we're not going to play your movies immediately. Universal came out and walked the, the comments back. So hopefully cooler heads are going to prevail and they work things out for the benefit of all movie fans. Cause these are two sides that just simply have to work together for the industry as Rob pointed out, uh, to truly operate properly for, for the betterment of everybody. All right. Uh, now I need to uh, search for stories here because some of these questions in here were actually sent during my play in chat yesterday. So anyway, uh, let's see. James Ward writes, I'm totally on AMC side, but I just want to say that I love that the AMC CEO clarified that this is, quote unquote, not some hollow or ill, Ill or ill considered threat. That made me laugh. Yeah, that is one of the things that Adam Aaron said, that this is not some hollow or considered threat because it's a rule they have always had. This is our rule. We've always had this rule. Other theaters have this rule too. And uh, yeah, I kind of like the way he uh, followed that up. James Ward also writes, man, I'm really scared that my local AMC will close down. The next closest theater is an hour away. I've been telling my family that if that happens, I'm going to have to move. I don't think that they know I'm serious. Rob, honestly, <laughs> I would pro if, if I had lived somewhere where all of a sudden I didn't have a movie theater within an hour of me, I would move. I, I'm not even joking. I, I would. I, I would move. move. Yeah, would you move. would too. Yeah. Yeah. I. I, I just. I, I. can't even imagine that. I would. It didn't matter if it would be an AMC theater, Regal, whatever. I just. I gotta be within a reasonable distance of a movie theater. I, I just I just have to be so I'm totally with you on that James okay uh, let's see here now all these were questions that came in uh, during the 
uh, poker night last night. I just got to find the ones that are tips instead of super chats. All right. Oscar L writes, hey, John and Rob, first time asking a question. So here it is. Thank you for writing in, Oscar. Have you seen that AMC is banning all universal movies? Again, guys, this was the talk of the town last night. Amazing. All universal movies. If so, what are your thoughts? Thanks and stay safe. Again, Oscar, it's not that they're banning a, a universal movies. They are simply following through on what their rule has always been. If you try to come out as a studio and release your movies in theaters and on VOD at the same time, we're not going to play your movies. That's always been the rule. They just simply reminded Universal of that. And Universal, I got a feeling the the Universal CEO got a call from his boss, the chairman of uh, <laughs> Comcast, and said, uh, you put out another statement right now and you walk that back. And that's exactly what they did. So hopefully, Oscar, it'll be signed that cooler heads will prevail. And thank you so much for writing into us, man. We appreciate that. Jeff Holy writes, or Ho- Holly, Holly writes, what do you think the consequence will be to the industry with amc banning exhibitions of universal movies thanks for everything you and the gang do well rob you and i were talking about this a a, a few minutes ago like i think if universal didn't walk it back and they do try to stick to that then the theaters are going to pull the trigger on enforcing their rules about not playing movies that also do day and date release it's going to be destructive for every it's going to hurt everybody Everybody. It's going to hurt the theaters. It's going to hurt the studios. It's going to hurt the fans. It's going to hurt everybody. So I don't know, Rob, how, how do you see them getting out of this? They have to play nice. They have to respect yeah. the, the, the fact that, that the motion picture industry needs movie theaters. If you want billion dollar grossing movies at the box office, you need to respect the box office. You know, that's what you got to do. And why would you do why would you do this? I get it. These are extraordinary circumstances. I thought it was really tone deaf to to go after your movie theaters like this. How could you have not thought this? Was, what are you trying to negotiate? You're trying to leverage. I mean, when's it going to end? Are we going to negotiate and leverage our country into dust? Is no one going to respect anything anymore? Is it just all about making an extra dollar? I mean, don't you know, the world is a better place with good movie theaters. Just like it's yeah. a better place with symphonies and ballets and classical music. I mean, the human animal needs more than just being wage slaves to work so you can buy more tennis shoes. You got to have art, man. They got to know art, art matters. Movies matter now more than ever. I got that from the player. <laughs> and they need each other. They need they to need remember this. They need each other. All right. Nick writes, uh, Giovanni, uh, I hope yourself and Lily Shadow and the extended family are all keeping well and safe during these uncertain times. Uh, I know you don't mind. Uh, I know you don't mind, but I'm sorry I haven't written in a while. I'll send in questions later in the show. Well, uh, Nick, thank you so much, man. And listen, unnecessary. We're just glad that you're watching the show and you're here a part of it. So, yes, thank you. Uh, me and mine are all doing very well. Thank you so much for that. And I extend that to you as well. I hope you and yours are doing great. Doing the four things, man. Stay smart. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves and take care of the people around you. If we all do that. We're going to get through this thing sooner rather than later. All right. Uh, next up here, I got to look for the because the Super Chats are... Uh, all from last night. Uh, let's get... Here we go. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, going back to your Incredible Hulk extra acting story, um, you may you may have misunderstood the guy who told you that it was okay for you to take photos. Uh, it might have not crossed his mind that you would post them on your blog, which is why he lied about it the next day. Uh, it's possible. For those, those of you who don't know, I had this unfortunate situation where I was an extra... Uh, for the Incredible Hulk movie. And we were told we can't take photos. Great. 
So while we were just in the holding area, I went up like the holding area for extras. It's not on set. I went up to one of the uh, the ads and I said, "Hey, um, is it cool that I take a picture of us in the holding area?" He said, "Yeah, sure." And they knew who I was. They knew I was a, a, a film blogger and stuff like that. I said, "Okay, great." So I took a picture, and because I was told it was okay, I put the picture up on on the movie blog at the time. And uh, yeah, great. So I went and showed back up the next day and there's this like committee of people saying, you got to leave. Well, you t- you t- we told you no photos. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? You t- I asked that guy who was standing right there. I asked that guy if I could take pictures. And he said, yes, if it was just in the holding area. And then that guy boldface lied and said, no, I didn't. And I'm like, oh, you mother. <laughs> I'm not a violent man, but I wanted to beat the shit out of that guy because there is no way I would have taken a picture or posted a picture if I wasn't given permission. No way would I act that unprofessionally. I would not do that. And I, I was so pissed, man. I was so pissed. Uh, anyway, sorry. I got getting worked up about that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, next one, next one, next one. Uh, answer the platform. Sorry about this, guys. This is what happened. Um uh, that one was answered. That one was answered. That one was answered. Um, oh, here we go. Nick writes, how many earlier non MCU Marvel movies are likely to get a cameo slash mention slash Easter egg in the MCU when the multiverse is introduced? Which movie is the most likely, if any, and which movies would you like to see eventually connect connected to the MCU if it works? I'm not quite sure what it is. Nick is asking. How many earlier non-MCU Marvel films are likely to get a cameo? Oh, and is it when the, well, first of all, the, the multiverse has already been introduced, but do I think they're going to go back and like, uh, no, I, I don't think they are going to do that, Nick, to be honest. I think they are going to work within the existing MCU and what they have and the multiverse is already thing. I actually think, Robin, you and I have talked about this. I think Multiverse of Madness is going to be a, a movie they use to close off multiverse that this multiverse thing that they introduced with endgame i think they're actually going to use dr strange and the multiverse madness to close that off and seal it off so it's not a problem moving forward but i don't know what do you think i think it's probably a a good bet i mean we're going to see the ultimate multiverse movie and then at the end they're going to have to close it off because it leaves too much People are going to be like, why don't you just go back and get people before they died? And, you know, it's going to be all kinds of craziness if they don't address it. Uh, I agree. I agree. Okay, next up. Uh, Luke1234 says, was Aaron an extra in Hot Tub Time Machine? I Here's the thing. I don't think she was, but I am constantly coming across things that Aaron is in and had no idea she was in. And then hit her up later and say, how did I not know? Like, I didn't even know she was in The Disaster Artist until Ann and I were sitting in the theaters watching the disaster artist. And then here comes Aaron. And I'm like, is that Aaron? And she's the disaster artist. And I'm like, I call her. How did you not let me know you were in the disaster? Or Ann and I are sitting at home watching blacklist. We're watching the blacklist. And she's like the main character of one of the episodes. Like she's the main guest character in one of the episodes. And I'm like, how did you not tell me you were in blacklist? So I don't think she was an extra in hot tub time machine. I don't think so. Unless I'm missing something, but no, I don't think she was. Nosferatu writes, Seriously, they should consider making a Jim Henson biopic. The man did a lot in the realm of entertainment. Listen, I actually think so because his story is incredible. 
when you actually look into the story of Jim Henson, it's an incredible story. I've been, I'm in agreement with you, Nosferatu. I've been saying that for years. You guys have to forgive the the the, the noise in here. I have to turn on the AC or else my camera is going to overheat. Um, but I've been saying for a long time, I would, I really think a Jim Henson biopic is absolutely warranted. I would love to see that. Sesame Street, Muppet Show, Dark Crystal. I mean, and what he went through to make all that come to be is fascinating. Murray Reich writes, uh, Rob, what do you think is going to happen now that AMC theaters at Universal City Walk in both Orlando and LA locations now with this whole debacle going on? I answered a question similar to this yesterday, Rob. It's like, okay, in the midst of all this, one of the interesting angles is this. There is a big, important AMC theaters on Universal Studios City Walk right here in LA and in Orlando. How do you think this affects that whole relationship? Man, I'd make a gigantic banner that said Universal Studios does not respect the theatrical window. We will not be playing any of their movies and just hang it outside both of those properties. So every tourist that on their way to the Harry Potter exhibit or whatever has to walk Ooh. past that big banner. And, and you know, people ask, ask themselves, wait, what's going on? I mean, I know most people don't care, but they could really have some fun with that. Rob wants to play some hardball. Rob wants to play hardball. All right. Uh, Murray Reich also writes, if Tenet does make its July 17th release date, do you think it will break the Dark Knight uh, Rises opening domestic box office numbers at $160 million, despite not being a Batman film? Nothing else is opening against it, and many people are desperate to go back to the movies. I think that is a wonderful question, Murray. Here's the thing, Rob. Tell me what you think. <clears throat> No, I do not think Tenet opens to more than 160 million. I, I just don't think there's going to be enough people going back to the theaters yet to break that record. Right. But I do think it's going to do well. Because even if they're saying like 30% capacity only and they're going to be people who are slow to go back, it's going to be the only game in town. Right. So I do think it's going to do really well, but I don't think it's going to break that record. What do you think? I tend to agree with you. I mean, I look, we've, we're still two and a half months out before Tenet, but I just can't see it becoming some box office bonanza in this current climate. I mean, we're everyone's like, let's open America. Well, we're going to see where we're going to be at in two and a half months. It's either going to be better or it's going to be worse. Or maybe it'll be status quo, but I think it's going to be either better or worse, and we'll know then. I think it's hard to say now. Look, I want my, my God, do I want to just go to the movies, John. I really do. And I really want to see Tenet. So I'll go. If I have to wear a hazmat suit, I'll go. All right. Next up, Dirk Walker writes, if all movies hit theaters and VOD at the same time, would enough people keep going to the theaters to keep them open? A lot of people would, but would enough? No. And here's the thing. Would enough, would the studios make enough money to justify keep making these movies? No. Because you know what's going to happen? They're going to charge you 20 bucks or 25 or 30. And what you and I are going to do is just like I do with UFC pay-per-views. I get eight people to come over and watch it when I rent it. I'm, people are going to make events out of it. And you're going to have eight or nine people coming over. And now, if you're Universal, you just made $20 instead of making $180 on movie ticket purchases for those guys. Even after theatrical cuts and all that kind of stuff, you are so far in the hole. Rob, this is why what we talked about the other day or the other week about the world record for most pay-per-view buys at home is a relatively small number compared to what box office does. So yep. would it be, this is why the theaters are digging in their, their heels and they need to because 
No, if you do VOD at the same time you do theaters, a lot of people will still go to the movies, but not enough. It's already a razor thin margin. And it's also going to hurt the studios because they're not going to make anywhere near that. Trolls 2 has made $77 million, folks. Trolls 2 has made $77 million under the best circumstances possible for a home video release to do. They made $77 million. Uh, you do this, they're they're all dead. So that's why it's just bad for everybody. Rob, your take. Uh, I I I think you're right. I mean, we again we keep, we keep talking about this continuum. It, it it the business works. You know, the theatrical model works, and I, I think it's worth preserving. And you're going to go and again this pursuit of we're going to make some extra money. Well, you want the continuum to exist. You want the greater ecosphere or the the great the better the economy it, it it all has to work otherwise you're ultimately cutting your own throat in the at the end of the day and that's just stupid uh yep uh, and, and just to uh, clarify again because some people are, are putting out misleading information all the official reports are saying that <clears throat> at just under twenty dollars for a rental they have done about five million rentals after the streamers take their cut uh, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that Universal has made $77 million. So some people are saying, wait a minute, I thought I heard they made 99. Well, after the streamers kept their cut, it was about 177. So that's what we're talking about. All right. Last couple of questions with Rob here because he's got things he's got to do. Chris Feldman writes, who decides if a movie gets a DVD release, the producer or studio? Netflix's uh, Marriage Story will get a DVD release in mid-July. Is that Netflix call? It is always the decision of the distributor. Whoever the distributor is for a film is the one who decides where and when a movie gets goes to theaters goes to vod goes to blu-ray goes to dvd so hey if netflix is the owner of the film and they're also the distributor and all that kind of stuff then they make that decision but quite often what happens is a studio makes a movie a distributor will distribute it and what they'll choose to do is they'll distribute it onto netflix but they're still the distributor and when the things that they can then take it and do anything else so whatever happens to a movie is always the purview of the distributor sometimes the producers and the distributor are one in the same body but quite yeah. often they're not but it's always the decision of the distributor chris also writes i did a mindless movie marathon the other day oh listen to this rob van wilder PCU, I'm not sure what PCU is. Uh, threesome, waiting. I actually like waiting. Uh, and road trip. Totally forgot Jan, John Favreau played gutter uh, gutter PCU. I'm still not sure what PCU is, Rob. When, do you know what that is? And when you look at yeah, that list yeah, of films, which one stands the, out to you? Yeah, it's the call. It's the college movie. Isn't David Spade in that? And like Jeremy Pivot. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, 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 yes. So which yeah. of that list stands out to you the most? Which is the one you like out of that uh, list? Well, I think that it's, it all collectively it works pretty well together. You know, I like <laughs> I like I like that uh, group of films. I mean, you know, I when I think about that, I'm thinking like, God, it's been a long time since I was in college, dude. I'm old. Old. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Last question we'll we'll do with Rob here because he's got things to do. Tim Platt writes. If Universal is tr truly trying to debut new releases on demand while simultaneously showing them in theaters, I hope other cinema chains will follow AMC's lead and flips Universal the bird. See how much money the fast movies bring in when people aren't aren't stuck, stuck in. Yeah, uh, I mean, and that's the thing. That's what will happen. These rules aren't just AMC's rules. They're NATO's rules. And NATO has already come out and started bashing Universal for the way, for the stuff that Jeff Shell's been saying. And then Jeff Shell had to come out with his hat in his hand and kind of walk back what he had said before. So I hope cooler heads prevail here. But you raise a great point, Tim. It is not just AMC's rule. 
Rob, you know, this is this has been a standard rule for movie theaters in NATO for a long time about yeah. you can't do we will not play your movies in our theaters if you're going to try to hurt us and do them day and date release. But how do you think that's going to all kind of work itself out? Well, I, look, I think it's got it, it has to work itself out right now because you're, you're talking about businesses working as opposed to not working. And that's it, it, no one's going to stand for that. And I think someone's going to have to walk something back and there's going to be have to, a, a deal has to be made. And especially in this environment, like it, it's you, you know, it's it's almost like if there was a, a beehive hanging above your front door and then there's a fire in the house and everyone's trying to escape the house. But somebody decides to poke the beehive with a stick as everyone's trying to get out of the house that's burning. And then the bees. That's a bad analogy, but something like that. <laughs> You know, I mean, you know what I mean? You're trying to get out of the house. The bees are trying to sting you. I like that was just dumb. Why? 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 Uh, why poke the hornet's nest or the bees nest? I don't know what I was trying to say, but it just didn't work. But yeah, I think everybody gets my meaning. And yet coming from you, it somehow made sense. When it comes to the mouth of Robert Meyer Burnett, it makes sense. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, Robert's got things he's got to run and do. He'll, of course, will be back. But Rob, for now, you got to run. We know. But in the meantime, dude, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM, or find me on my YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations. All right, dude, as always, thanks for being here, and we'll see you on here next time. All right. All right, take care, sir. All right, guys, we now continue. We still have about uh, 15 or 20 minutes left, so keep, let's keep right on rolling through all your questions. Mandalorian of Gondor writes in, Hey, John, I was wondering, since AMC is saying no more Universal, which I don't think will last past 2020, what does that mean for No Time to Die, which is not made by Universal, but distributed by them in select areas? Thanks, and may the Force be with you. Okay, so here's the thing. If Universal which I don't think they have the power to do this. I think they have a territorial right for distribution. I have to go look at the details, but I think what Universal has is specific territorial certain rights to it, which means they don't have the power to take it over to uh, whatever streaming immediately. That being said, if, let's go theoretical here, what it would mean is if Universal was the prime distributor of the movie, and if Universal said, we want to take this movie to have a VOD release and a theatrical release on the same day, and if the CEO of Universal didn't backtrack those words after AMC smacked him on the hand, then what would happen here is that you wouldn't see No Time to Die in theaters. Because AMC, Regal, none of the major chains would carry the film because they would be, Universal would be breaking their rules. And they wouldn't be playing on any theater. So I, again, it's important to understand here that the Universal CEO has already walked back his comments. So we should be good at least for the next little while, but they have got to get their heads together. Like the theatrical, the studio sites, particularly this is a universal issue. This isn't the other studios. All the other studios are playing fair. All the other studios are playing right. It's only universal that's been acting like a jackass. But they and the theaters have got to get their heads together and really work this thing out properly because they need each other. You know, the theaters need no time to die playing in the theaters. They need it playing in the theaters, but only if it's not on VOD at the same time, because that's just going to hurt the theaters. The studios need the theaters or else they're not going to make the real money. You know, they've got to get their heads together and realize they need each other and work this thing out properly. Anyway, uh, Sully writes. Um, did you see Mania 36? If so, what did you think? Is 36 the most recent WrestleMania? I thought it was pretty good, all things considered. 
I mean, considering the fact that they couldn't have an audience and there was some stuff I thought was questionable, but there was also some really good matches like the Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins match was really, really good. And there was a couple other things. So, yeah, I, I, if, if I'm thinking of the right one, I thought it was pretty good given the circumstances. Uh, ah, right. Uh, hopefully, California theaters may still be reopened in July. What are your odds for Tenet getting an IMAX release later this year uh, so more of us can see it the way it was intended? I... I think as good as just the theaters open. I think if the theaters open, the IMAX is going to open. And honestly, right now, I think the chances are good. Certainly not a guarantee. And we'll certainly know more in the coming weeks. But right now, if I had to put $5, not $100, if I had to put $5 on it, I, I would bet, yeah, I think the theaters will be open in time for Tenant to play. Because we're still talking two and a half months away. Right. So we'll know a lot more. Like I might change my mind on that in a few weeks once we see how things are evolving. But if things continue along the current path, I think there's a pretty good chance to do. It. And that includes IMAX. I think that includes IMAX. All right. Uh, Buddy Christ, the original Jedi writes one of two. Holy sheep shot. So Universal gives movie theaters the Ric Flair low elbow, uh, low blow. AMC responds in kind with an RKO from the top of the Hollywood sign. Uh, then, for good measure, pours gasoline on them while walking away with the uh, with the smile on tossing a lit match and lighting them up in flames. Cool, cue cool music score. LOL. Can't say I blame AMC at all. No, you can't blame AMC. Like, remember, when this whole pandemic hit, it was affecting everybody. And what happened in the movie industry was that studios and the theaters got together and talked. And they realized, look, we got to do something about this. We need each other to be healthy. We need to work our way through this. So Disney started thinking, well, there might be a couple of one or two movies we might have to drop to VOD because we don't, we're not going to have room on our schedule anymore and blah, blah, blah. And they talked and they tried to work out plans and figure out to, a way to make it work for everybody. Universal didn't even give the movie theaters a phone call. Universal just went out and announced, oh, by the way, we're moving uh, trolls to uh, to VOD. And the movie theaters were like standing there with their dicks in their hands going, uh, what? Uh, a heads up would have been nice. Talking to us would have been nice. You know, Universal, we have made you, the movie theaters, we have made you billions of dollars over the years. Billions and billions of dollars we've made you over the years. You think you could, when we're kind of in a really screwed situation, that you just blindside us like that and not even give us a call to give us a heads up or even talk to us about it to try to fit all the other movie studios are all the rest of them are treating us like partners because they know we make them a lot of money and we make a lot of money from them and we're partners and you didn't even do that like universal has been acting really effed up in all this and i think finally i th i think what it looks like happened here is that the chairman of comcast which owns universal I think the chairman of Comcast gave the chairman of Universal a call and said, uh, you come out and you walk back what you said. I don't care what you tell them. Tell them, oh, you just misunderstood what I meant. It's pretty clear what you meant, but do whatever you need to do. You come out and you walk back those comments. And that's what he did. And he needed to. But there's still clearly a lot of animosity now between Universal and the North American theater owners. That includes AMC and Regal and all the majors. There's clearly still a lot of animosity. And they, they need each other. 
So they all need to get together, clear this animosity up, and get things rolling again for the betterment of film fans. They need to get this uh, stuff straightened out. They need to get straightened out. All right, Matthew Grant writes, I'm really looking forward to Mulan. Me too, man. Um, for I think uh, Nikki Caro is such an amazing director. Whale Rider is fantastic, by the way. Whale, Whale Rider is great. Is one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, Caro is such an amazing eye for emotion, cinematography, and cultures. If you have not seen Whale Rider, absolutely must do it. And listen, that was the first thing that really, I mean, other than the fact that it's a well-known Disney property, one of the first things that really made me take notice, Matthew, of, of Mulan was when they went and got her to direct it. I thought, that's a great move. She could totally bring something really special to this. Now, maybe the movie will be great. Maybe the movie will be terrible. Don't know. We'll find out. But I've got a lot of enthusiasm for it. And I've actually got high expectations because I think the trailers have looked fantastic. But we'll see. Maybe it'll, be, maybe it'll suck. Maybe it won't. All right. Duty Bound writes, I believe Universal is anticipating the movie theaters will have will have so low attendance that VOD is necessary. A cash-strapped family of four will spend $80 for tickets, popcorn, and soda with VOD. Uh, $20 for the rental and $10 for snacks is just more economical. Okay, yes. But follow the logic through. Follow your logic through. Universal can't sustain itself with those numbers. Universal can't sustain themselves with those numbers. You know, uh, first of all, a family of four is not going to have to spend $80. Well, if you want to include all the popcorn and all the sodas and all the snacks, it might come up to about 80 bucks. But Universal can't afford for four people to see their movie and only get $20 out of it. Then you minus whatever the streamer's cut is. Now you're talking $16. So movie theaters cannot afford that. Or movie studios can't afford that. That's why, you know, that's why you have 5 million rentals of Trolls 2. But that might represent, 5 million rentals probably represents 30, 30 million people who have seen it. Out of 5 million rentals, that probably means about 30 million people have seen it. So instead of making $400 million at the box office, they make $77 million. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for anybody. And that's why these are both sides that need to get their heads together and figure out what is the smart way forward that doesn't hurt you, doesn't hurt us, and is good for the film fans, and we can make this work. They've got to figure this out, man. They've got to figure this out. All right. Uh, the Wakandan Forever writes, I watched Rob's show's Observation for the first time. Really good show. It was different and interesting. Live chat was really cool and welcoming. Rob's a good host. Nice to try something new. Yeah, Rob's been doing it. This is, that's why at the end of all my shows, I, I tell Rob, Rob, tell everybody where they can find you. Because it's it's very different from the John Campia show. It's more of a topical show than it is uh, daily items and stuff like that. But it's a really nice little show. So you should go check out Rob's show when you get a chance. Um, Jonathan Joyner writes, one of three. Hey, John, I will truly appreciate your thoughts on this. I've seen quite a few channels uh, in which people give their quote unquote reviews of a season based on just a few episodes and didn't bother finishing it. Personally, I can't truly call it a true review because I believe a true review is an overview of a show slash movie in its entirety. It is merely a first impression rather than a review. Uh, this is something I would like another take on and find, and I find stance on such topics very insightful. What are your thoughts? Well, we this came up the other, uh, a few, about a month ago, two months ago, where 
one of the major trades did a review of a show after only watching like three episodes. Like they admitted, like they had the entire season and all they did was watch two or three episodes. And then they gave this headline and this bashing review of the show when they only watched a couple of episodes. Now, I get when some like streaming services, like for instance, when Daredevil was coming out, right? Netflix sent a bunch of us the first couple of episodes we could watch so we could give a a quick review of it, right? They didn't send us the entire season, but they send out the first couple episodes. This is pretty standard. Pardon me. This is pretty standard. They did that for Picard. They let some people see the first few episodes of Picard early so they could do a review. And of course, then you just review what it is you were able to see. That's understandable. But there has been a trend that some people would like watch one episode of something, but give a review of the season based on the fact that they only saw like one episode or so. You shouldn't do that. Yeah, I, I, I will tell you my, my, my thoughts on that, Jonathan. It's a stupid thing to do. Fine. Just review a couple of episodes, but be clear in your headlines and everything. Reviewing episodes one, two, and five of such and such a show. Okay, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's totally fair. And you can even say in your view, I watched these three episodes and I hated what I saw. And so I didn't bother watching the rest. That's fine too, because that's honest. Nothing wrong with that. But we started to see a little bit of a pattern where some places were putting out these season reviews of shows and they hadn't even watched them. And that's that's not a good trend in in the industry, Jonathan, at all. And it's something that shouldn't exist. So I completely agree with you on that, Jonathan. 100% do. All right. Uh, let's see here. Dino Vader writes, one of two. Greetings from Switzerland. Uh, in my honest opinion, this and next year, there will be no movie that will reach a billion dollars. Reasons are social distancing in the cinemas, high and rising unemployment rates, uh, other priorities instead of going to the cinemas. What do you think? I disagree. I disagree. I agree for 2020. I do agree for that for 2020. However, I do also believe that by 2021, we will have adapted. I'm not saying the problem is going to be gone entirely. It might be gone entirely, but maybe not. But even if it's not gone, I think we, because this is what we do, we adapt. Culturally, we just adapt to things. And I think we will adapt businesses will be open again. People will be getting back to work. I'm not saying we're going to have a big, booming, thriving economy or anything like that, but I think we will be back to whatever it is we define as our new normal. And I think in 2021, I do believe we can get a one or two new billion dollar films. I don't believe so in 2020, but then again, I didn't think we were going to get a new billion dollar film in 2020, even before the lockout happened. I thought there were a couple of films that had the potential. I thought the new James Bond had potential to be that next billion dollar film. I thought Black Widow had the potential to be a billion dollar film. Um, but so I thought there were a couple had potential, but I didn't, I didn't really feel big on the chances of any 2020 movie getting to that billion dollar club even before the lockdown now i certainly don't but 2021 yeah i think we will have learned to have adapted to the new situation i think we will have learned to have adapted to the new normal as people are kind of calling it and i I do think there will be one or two billion dollar films in 2021 of course we will have to wait and see you may be completely right dino you may be completely right but i have a feeling 2021 will be a different story but we will find out as time goes on all right fabian vegas writes what is your exact issue with ahsoka i'm not going to go into that uh her being a masturbatory fangirl 
no, no, Fantasy Girl for one person in particular is not a really valid criticism of my book. I don't have to give you uh, uh, anything and I don't have to justify why I don't like the character. I've seen the show. I thought it's a terrible character. It doesn't work. And I don't have to justify to anybody why I don't like her. Now, if you like the character, good for you. That's great. I want people to like things that I don't like. I want everybody to love everything they watch. I don't like Rise of Skywalker. I hope everybody else does. I mean, a lot of people don't, but I hope everybody else does. But Ahsoka Tano is a character that, to me, completely undermined the mythology of the Jedi in the first place, was annoyingly irritating, and just just was painful to watch on screen. Now, some people say, but her character changes over the course of the show. I watched the whole show. Not the new season. I've only seen episode one of the new season. And I just, you know, it's not for me. So I walked away from it. But I'm sorry. It's a character that does not work for me. And I do find that as much as I like Dave Filoni, um, I find that he is unhealthily obsessed with that character and tries to bring that character into everything he does. That's just what I find. And if you disagree, that's fine. And if you like the character, that's fine. I'm glad that you do. And I'm glad you like the show. That's wonderful but it's not for me. And it is not my responsibility to justify uh, why I like or don't like something. I've given my reasons multiple times about why I didn't like Clone Wars as a show and why I don't like that character. And if you can't deal with that, too bad. Too bad. I don't, listen, it would be one thing if I put out a hate video every week about the Ahsoka Tano character. Right. If every week I put out a hate video about it and I just constantly went on about it, blah, 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 blah. Well, that could get sickening, whatever. But I don't. Somebody asked me about Ahsoka Tano. I give my opinion on Ahsoka Tano. And by the way, even though I hate this character, when they announced that Rosario Dawson might be playing Ahsoka Tano, even I said, listen, I don't like the character, but my God, this would be perfect casting. This would be perfect casting if they did that. But, you know, I don't rail on Ahsoka Tano. I don't even talk about Ahsoka Tano except for when people like you want to ask me about it. But, yeah, I've given my reasons a thousand times and you don't need to agree with them. You don't have to agree with them. That's the best thing about being film fans and story fans of storytelling. We don't have to agree. But I hate that character. And if you ask me what do I think about that character, I will say I hate that character. I won't go on and make three videos this week about why I hate the character or harp on it. But, yeah. It is what it is. And, and I find that Dave Filoni has an unhealthy obsession with that character, that he feels the need to put that character into everything. I still like Dave Filoni and I still like a lot of the stuff that he does, but I just don't like that one element. But that's me and other people do. And that's great. And that's the great thing about being film fans. All right. Damo Davies writes, uh, greetings from the United Kingdom. Would you agree that the direct adaptation of Frank Miller's Sin City is proof undeniable that direct adaptations of comic books can work? The panels of the pages are literal storyboards uh, for the movie adaptation. I highly recommend the 2021. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a different question altogether. Um, all it proves and we've talked about actually me and John Schnepp did a video about this specifically before. What that shows is that it can work. It can. But the majority of the time it won't. You know, uh, it's kind of like saying, hey, can you make a basket if you heave up the shot in basketball from center court? Well, yeah, you can. But it is a low percentage shot and more times than not, you're going to miss and it won't work. But yeah, it can work. 
you can heave up the shot from center court and it could go in. There have been examples where it has. So yes, it can. But I think what we have seen more overwhelming evidence is that more times than not, it won't. And and by the way, we're talking about Sin City. In my opinion, you know, Sin City 2 is an example of the fact that uh, often it won't work. Uh, Frank Miller's The Spirit is a great example of quite often it won't work. So can it work? Yes. Just like a half-court shot can, it can. But is it wise to take the half-court shot? Probably not because the odds are against you. But it's not impossible, and it can. All right, Damo Davies also writes, I highly recommend the 2021 movie The Tailor of Panama, a spy movie starring Pierce Brosnan, Jeffrey Russ, I've seen it, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Daniel Grafcliffe uh, in his first screen appearance. What, was that his first? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me let me look something up here. Uh, one second. Uh, uh, the Tailor of Panama, 2001 film. You know what? You might be right. I I thought my first instinct was to say, you know what? I no, you're not right about that. I think you're wrong about that. But you know what? I you may be right. I st- this is why I got to look this stuff up because I think I stand corrected. Well, that's what it was. His first big screen appearance. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe was uh, a recurring character in the TV miniseries David Copperfield, playing young David Copperfield, a couple of years before Taylor of Panama. But I, that's not what I was thinking. I was thinking that wasn't even his first movie. I thought Sorcerer's Stone came out first. But you are right, and I stand corrected. Taylor of Panama was indeed his first big screen appearance. You were right. Well done, sir. Well done. All right. Last question of the day. Uh, because we're out of time here. Damo Davies writes, whose side do you take in the Superman 2 director dump of Richard Donner to be replaced with Richard Lester? Donner felt like he had earned the creative freedom to complete the sequel. He had almost, uh, he had mostly shot on his terms, but the producers felt differently. Uh, Release the Donner cut. Oh, wait, I have watched both versions and and have them on Blu-ray. Whilst I have no doubt a fully complete Donner cut would best the theatrical in every way, it is an incomplete vision, uh, so unfair to judge. It is harshly as normal here's the thing um the donner cut may well may very well have been better than the other one maybe not whatever that's a matter of opinion so that's fine generally speaking i think whoever owns the thing should have the last say on what happens with that thing right i often use the example of using using a home contractor right most of the time and this is not true in every situation but most of the time a director is brought on to a project and hired to be the director of a project, right? But it's still the producer's movie. It's still their movie, right? It's their their movie. They're paying for it. Like the by producers, it could be them, the studio, whatever. It's their movie. They're paying for it. You've been brought in by them to do something and blah, blah, blah. And it is a director pours a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and they're the most responsible person for a movie and all that kind of stuff is true. But at the end of the day, it's the producer's movie. And the way I often kind of the analogy I like to use is, let's say you own a house. It's your house and you hire a contractor because they're the one with the expertise and you, you like their vision and you want them to come in and do a home renovation for you. But you tell them, I don't want my living room blue. What should the contractor say? Should the contractor say, well, I'm the contractor. I should do whatever I want. 
Or should they go, okay, you know what? It's your house. You're the one paying the bills. You're the one paying for all this, and it's yours. I'll do my work, but if you don't want me to make the living room blue, I won't do the living room blue. And if the director says, screw you guys, I'm the contractor. If I want to make that living room blue, I'm going to make the living room blue. Well, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fire the contractor and you're going to bring in another contractor who will make your living room any color other than blue. Um, and it, it's the eternal battle between the artistic and the business side, right? It's that eternal battle between the artistic because my, my gut reaction is to side with the artistic. That's my gut reaction. Side with the artistic. But the reality is, if it was your movie and your money and your property, you would rightfully so believe the final say should be yours. And it's true. It should be, you know, and, and so but it's it's a tough struggle. So I think it goes back and forth. And I think there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. Um, but anyway, it's a great question, Damo. It's a great question. Anyway, guys. That will do it for today's installment of the John Campus Show. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of it. Thank you to all you guys just for being here. You know, it's it's no fun having a big movie discussion without the community. And when the community's here, it makes it a lot of fun. And so thank you guys. Special thank you to all you guys also who sent in questions. By the way, all the rest of you guys from Jake J, JCL, uh, Josh Willis, and all the way on, do not worry. Your guys' questions are going to get answered properly in a video. I'm going to do a little bit of a uh, companion video today, and then the rest will be made up on tomorrow's show. So you sent in those questions. They're going to get answered. And thank you to all you guys who sent in the questions because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported the channel while you did it. And myself, Robert, Jonathan, Ray, Aaron, everybody involved with the John Camp YouTube channel, thank you guys very much for all that support. All right, guys, that will do it for me for now. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. Guys, do the four things. Please stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. Thanks for being here, guys. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.